This is a presentation of Northeast Streaming Sports. You are watching Frankly Speaking Sports, live from Charlotte, North Carolina. terrific show we have for you this evening just a great great show and we're going to start it off in a few minutes talking about the daytona 500 we'll also talk about that incident the terrible terrible incident that happened at the end of that uh michigan versus wisconsin men's basketball game yesterday have a lot of insight on that we'll also talk about you know Baseball still locked out. They're making some progress. Hopefully, in the next couple of days, we'll hear something about the season getting started. But one of the things that happened in the offseason, if you didn't hear, was that the Rays were just trying to uh, figure out if they can play in two cities or just Tampa Bay. Well, Major League Baseball came back and said no to the Montreal deal. Now our question is, and we'll discuss it later in the show, should the Rays stay in Tampa Bay or should they think about relocating to other areas in the United States? And we'll talk about that. Then, big fight happened this week. Uh, Kel Brook uh, defeated Amir Khan. We will have with us joining us in about 30 minutes will be Jeremy Herridges, boxing writer for At Fansided. So he will be our special guest tonight. And then we'll end it up with... The finale talking about um, Joaquin Neiman and his big win at the Genesis uh, Invitational this weekend. So lots and lots and lots of sports to talk about. And uh, before we go ahead and do that, want to remind everybody that is watching us right now that on the bottom of our screen, which we are about to put up right now for you, you are going to see... Uh, how to get onto our Rutu channel. We are now on Roku. If you go to Roku, your smart TV, download Roku, download Northeast Streaming Sports. That's right, Northeast Streaming Sports. 
And you can watch all the great, great shows that are provided by Northeast Streaming Sports. That's right. You go to the Northeast Streaming Sports, uh, the logo, and I'm going to put it right behind us so everybody can go ahead and see that. That is the Northeast Streaming Sports logo. You'll have our channel right now. My show is every Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. It's live at 9 p.m. Eastern time. We also want to welcome our friends from Sportswire Radio. We are on uh, live there tonight. So thank you very much for everybody tuning in there. And then tomorrow, uh, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, 11 a.m., you can listen to our show in its entirely entirety on Tobacco Road Sports Radio. So lots and lots of different ways to listen to us besides YouTube, besides Twitter, besides Facebook. Just several, several ways to go ahead and listen to us. And let's go ahead and uh, kick this show off talking about, um, uh, you know, the grand race of them all. We call it the greatest American race for a reason. And believe me, folks, it lived up to everything the Daytona 500 is supposed to. We're going to show you in a minute the last lap, but what an unbelievable win by rookie uh, Austin uh, Sindrick. It was um, his first win, guys. His first win on the circuit. He has had two top 10 finishes, but he is the second youngest driver to win the Daytona 500 at 23 years old, 212 days. And, you know, when you look at this, and we're going to go ahead and let you watch, but I want you to watch this race as we end this race. What an unbelievable – this is a rookie – and look at this move he makes on Ryan Blaney to go up top and block him and just barely beat Bubba Wallace to the finish line to win the Daytona 500. Let's go ahead and see if I can get that on here for you. And let's go ahead and listen to that last lap. Hopefully those of you on Sportswire Radio and Tobacco Sport Road Sports Radio can hear this. If not, I do apologize as we are showing the video live here on uh, on our show right now. Let's go ahead and play that. Thank you. What a what a finish that was. And give this young kid, Cindric, lots of credit for that great, great block. Here he had to make a decision. If he goes low, he loses this race, and Blaney possibly wins it. Uh, you know, the one you got to feel sorry for, you know, first of all, let's congratulate Austin Cindric on his first win. Not just his first win, but you know how many of these NASCAR drivers race and win race after race after race, but they never had – they get the opportunity, but are never able to prevail at the Daytona 500. And great, great job by Austin Sindrick was among, and the reason why he won this race, folks, is he was among the leaders throughout this race. He probably had one of the most solid races out of any race car driver out there. I mean, all throughout this race, you looked at him and he was in the top 10, top five, just uh, hovering around that 
uh, you know, the lead spot. And when it came down to the end, he won this race. But Bubba Wallace, you got to feel sorry for him. I mean, so close, but yet so far, you know, as the song goes, you know, 2018, it was fine when his first year and he comes in second in the Daytona 500, but this one hurt. He was so close that he may never, ever will get a chance, but you never know if you'll get that opportunity to get that close again. And for Bubba Wallace, you know, I was kind of pulling for him towards that. I wanted to see him win this race, but just a little short. Um, actually, it was Brad Keselowski who led this race, folks, um, led this race, uh, you know, led the most laps in this race. But he also caused three incidents. And tomorrow, we have the pleasure and the honor to have Chris Osborne, who is a NASCAR writer, will be joining us live. That's right. Tomorrow night, Tuesday night, 9 p.m., Chris Osborne, NASCAR writer, will be joining us so that we can break down this great, great Daytona 500 race even more. But Brad Keselowski caused three incidents, some of them questionable. One of them... Uh, you know, causing a major accident um, that, you know, that flipped the car and then a couple other ones with Stenhouse involved. So we'll talk about that tomorrow when Chris joins us. But a great, great race. And once again, congratulations to Austin Sindrick on our race. Well done. You know, as we move on, um, first of all, I want to go ahead once again and welcome uh, sports Wire, Sports Radio. Um, you can go to sportanarium.com player. That's S P O T A N A R I U M.com with a slash player. And you can join their network um, if you'd like, as we are on the air there as well. Thank you very much, everyone from Sports Wire, Sports Radio. But as we move on, ugly, ugly, ugly incident yesterday, folks. And, I mean, I don't know any other way to describe it. It's actually, you know, I don't know if I'm getting old or something, but to me it was a very, very, very disturbing situation at the end of that Michigan-Wisconsin game yesterday. Uh, and we're going to show you the incident, but if you didn't see it last night, um, yesterday because you were busy watching Daytona and didn't get time to see it. Before we go into detail on the incident, we're going to go ahead and we're going to break this down a little for you. Let's go ahead and uh, see if we can pull this uh, clip up uh, once again of uh, this incident that happened yesterday at the end of the game between uh, Jawan Howard, the head coach, uh, the men's basketball coach of Michigan, and Greg Gard, the uh, head coach of the Wisconsin Badgers team. And we'll see if we can pull that up. Let's go ahead and do that. All right. Let's go ahead and see if we can get the play button. That will help. Here we go. Shopping. This is an ugly 
And, and it was an ugly scene, folks. And I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to pull that up again if I can. Uh, let's see. Uh, all right, well, let's go ahead and pull that down. It won't let us replay it. So we'll go ahead and we'll get that off the screen. But an ugly, ugly, ugly incident. And Jawan Howard was wrong. You know, I looked at this tape over and over and over and over again. And nobody can tell me Jawan was right. I don't care what you say, what you think. You have to be some type of fool to think Jawan Howard was right in this situation. First of all, a couple of reasons. All right. Greg God did touch him. No doubt about that. No questions asked. First of all, if you go back and you slowly look at that, God goes out and grabs him because he wants to explain to him why he called that timeout, uh, which maybe he should not have tried to do. You know, at that point, Jawan just lost. He's upset he lost the game. He's mad that they called the timeout with 15 seconds left. But who gives a crap if you call a timeout or not? There's no reason to do what Jawan does. Then about 10 seconds after that, Jawan comes back and nails one of the assistant coaches with a right-handed punch that, or a left-handed punch. I'm not even sure which hand it was with, but that ended up, when you look closely, it looked a lot worse than it was. It actually being an open hand, but still, the fact is he swung at him. The, and the worst part of this all, first of all, a couple things, folks. Number one, you are the leader and the role model of this team. You did a terrible job exemplifying that to the student-athletes that are playing for you. You are supposed to set the example, and you did a terrible job doing that. Number two, you put every single person, coach, athlete, trainer, whatever, on your team into harm's way because you are stupid, ignorant, and dumb on your decision-making at that point. For you to go ahead and swing at someone like that is ridiculous. It is just ridiculous. You have to be smarter than that. And this is not the first time Jawan has done something like this. Now, it has just come down um, to, frankly speaking, sports that Jawan Howard has been suspended for the regular, the rest of the regular season. That's five games, and we'll see what happens from there. But I don't know if that's enough. And then we come out, and let me explain something to you folks. I love Dickie V. I respect Dickie V. And first of all, all of us here on Frankly Speaking Sports want to wish him, you know, the best of health going forward. We know he's suffering through a lot right now, and we hope we get back to see him soon. But he made a point yesterday, and he made it again today. And one thing about uh, Dickie V, he may not be able to talk right now, but Don, he can still give you his opinion, and you know how it's coming out. He made a statement that, Maybe they should do away with the handshake line at the end of the game. I'm sorry. I very, very, very rarely disagree with Dickie V, but this is one of the times I do. Why? This was not a player that cost the results of these actions yesterday. It was two head coaches with one being considerably more abusive than the other. So why should the handshake be eliminated? You fight hard during the game. 
the end of the game, there's nothing wrong with showing sportsmanship and shaking hands. The problem here was that the leaders of both these teams could not exemplify that the right way to their team. These were leaders who are supposed to be role models, who are supposed to represent their universities, and did not do that. Okay, Jawan Howard, a five-game suspension is very light on what should be done. This guy, if it was his first time, I'd say, okay. But gosh, you put every single person on your team in jeopardy of danger because of your ignorance. That is uncalled for. And you still have yet to apologize, which just shows everybody around the United States of America that you're not man enough to do so. For that reason, you don't deserve to hold the position you hold with the Michigan Wolverines. We'll be back right after this. Tobacco Road Sports Radio is so excited to be your home for triad sports. I'm so excited! I'm so excited! We heard you loud and clear. Our mission is to give you what you want. You know what I want. I've been asking for it for years. Give it to me. Give me what I want. The best sports talk in live sports in the triad, period. What's up, everybody? Live Brandon Blake. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to The Score once again with Brett Wiseman. Hello and welcome back to the Pit Stop here on Tobacco Road Sports Radio. Welcome back to Franchise Players, your home for triad sports coverage. I'm your host, Desmond Johnson, here on Tobacco Road Sports Radio. And if you think that's great, Wait until you see what's next. It's going to be good. It's going to be huge. It's going to be huge. Tune in at TobaccoRoadSportsRadio.com. And don't forget to download the new Roku channel, Tobacco Road Sports Radio. I'm your host, Larry Frank. I want to thank everybody who's tuned in so far tonight. A reminder, if you want to leave a comment on any of the issues or situations that we've been talking about tonight, we just got done talking about the Jawan Howard, Greg God incident between Michigan and Wisconsin. We already talked about um, the Daytona 500. Go ahead. Leave messages, leave comments under the comment section. We'll get to them. We would love to have interaction from anyone and everyone who is currently out there right now. So please go ahead and do that. I want to remind you we are on YouTube live. We are on Twitter live. We are all over the place. Um, We are also on uh Let's see, what else are we on? Northeast Streaming Sports Facebook. Um, We are on Frankly Speaking Sports Facebook. So lots and lots of different avenues to watch us. Reminder, we're on uh, Sportswire Radio, and we are on TobaccoRoadSportsRadio.com. You know, we don't know when the baseball season is going to start. And we're not going to go into this entire lockout again and again every night. We're just going to let you know. There is movement between both sides, and 
it, it's looking brighter and brighter every day that the conclusion of this lockout will come to an end very shortly. But one of the big things throughout the winter this year, um, you know, was this dual plan that Stu Sternberg, uh, the owner of the Tampa Bay Rays, had about playing half the season in Montreal and half the season in Tampa, which was nixed by the um, baseball uh, commissioner. It was turned down. It's not going to happen. Imaginative idea, which the Rays have a bunch of imagined a great imagination when it comes to doing different things, but we knew it wouldn't work. But the big question comes up, does the Tampa Bay Rays area deserve to keep its team? And this is coming from a guy who had lived down there for 35 years in the Tampa Bay area, saw the Rays come into existence, saw them get to the World Series first couple of times, and the question has to be, do the fans of Tampa Bay support this team enough for this team to stay there? My answer is no, they don't. Yes, they watch it on TV. Give them credit. They have one of the best TV audiences in all of Major League Baseball. But they come up with too many excuses day after day after day after day after month after month after month year after year after year on why they cannot attend the baseball game. And you'll hear a lot of stories throughout um, Tampa Bay. It's too far. I can't get over the bridge. I get home too late. And I'm going to tell you right now, for all you Rays fans that are out there listening, I will tell you with a capital B, it's a big load of crap that you're feeding people. Okay? You can get to a game. <clears throat> Excuse me. It takes 25 minutes from downtown Tampa to get to Tropicals, uh, Tropicana Field in traffic. I've done it over and over and over again. You think people in New York who live in Long Island don't travel from Long Island to the Bronx or to uh, Flushing to go see the Mets or Yankees play? Come on, people. What are you thinking? There's people in Arkansas that go ahead and travel to uh St. Louis or Kansas City to watch baseball games that are four to six hours away. People here, where I am based right now in Charleston, North Carolina, travel four hours to Atlanta to see Major League Baseball, and you people are crying, yelling, and bitching about driving 25 minutes to see a team play. You do not deserve that team. Now, let me go by saying there are some very, very good fans in Tampa Bay. I've met a lot of them that are very loyal, but that's not enough. Definitely not enough. I mean, there are people that will cry and make up every excuse in the book on why they can't go. You got to move the stadium to Tampa. You got to move the stadium to Ebor. You got to move the stadium to the fairground. You know what? You're the same folks that are going to be sitting on your butts and not going to the game when the team moves. Because if you're a baseball fan and you want to watch baseball, you will make the effort to go as far as you can go to watch that. I had lived in Gainesville, Florida, folks. Gainesville, Florida is about two and a half hours from Tropicana Field. And me and my wife would go to game at the game at the game to go see the Rays play because we loved the Rays. 
at that time when we were in Florida, and we wanted to see some great baseball. Every excuse, the stadium's terrible. The stadium's not terrible. You're terrible, okay? Yes, they have catwalks. Besides that, it's fine. I've seen a lot worse stadiums than Tropicana Field. But at the end of the day, you got to stop making excuses. There are what the Tampa Bay Rays fans don't realize is there are areas of the United States, two of them being Charlotte, North Carolina, another one being Nashville, Tennessee, that would die to get that baseball team from Tampa Bay to relocate. And you know what? You look at the Charlotte area, for example. They got a triple A, the Charlotte Knights, I believe they're called that as a 10 to 11,000 seat stadium, they sell out every single game. Every single game. They get a maximum crowd there. Stand room only. Standing room only to the game. They show up. Do you know they get more fans in a 10,000 seat stadium during the week than the Rays get in a 28,000 seat stadium in St. Pete, and all the fans can do is make excuses after excuses after excuses. Stu Sternberg's not wrong. He's a businessman. What businessman is going to keep his, his team or his business in an area where they're not making money, okay? And they're not making money because of the fans. It's one thing if he's not putting a good product on the field, but this is a team year after year after year that consistently wins, consistently gets to the playoffs, and has gotten to the World Series just recently versus the Dodgers. Okay, what is the problem? This is a team I remember last year fighting for first place, and they're playing a big, huge series, and they got 6,000, 6,000 fans in the stadium for a first-place team. You do not deserve that first-place team. Tampa Bay, you need to step up because I'm telling you right now, Tampa Bay, if you don't get out, out of your seats, off your butts, and go down to baseball games this year in Tampa Bay at the Tropicana Field, this team could be relocating to a state somewhere else in the United States of America, and you're going to have nobody else to blame but yourself. It's a sad, sad situation down there. I love to get your opinions, folks. Go ahead and leave them in the comment section. But, you know, come on. You got a first-place team. You show up, right, for the hockey team. Obviously, you only show up to the Buccaneers if they win. I'm sure attendance is going to start slipping very, very quickly if they start losing now that Tom Brady's gone. But my goodness, be a loyal fan. When your team's winning or losing, you should show up. Come on. You don't see that happen in Chicago. Chicago, they don't care. They show up. Cleveland, they could be 0-9 in football, okay? They show up. They show up. Where are the Tampa fans? If you want your team, get your butts to the game and go ahead and support this team that is doing everything in his power to keep you fans happy. Ladies and gentlemen, we'll be back right after this.
We love sports. Joe Lewis, the greatest boxer ever lived. Not only do we love sports, but we love to debate sports. He was bad in cat play. He bad in sugar Ray. He bad in that. Who that's you? The new boy. Mike, Mike, Mike Tyson looks like a bulldog. He bad in him too. He done whipped Mike Tyson there. He whipped all that. For the best sports analysis in the triad. What about Rocky Marciano? In-depth local coverage of your favorite schools and teams. Let me tell you something wonderful. Rocky Marciano was good. But compared to Joe Lewis, Rocky Marciano ain't and of course, the best sports debate in the triad. It's Joe Lewis's ass. Welcome to Tobacco Road Sports Radio. Joe Lewis was 75 years old when he fought. You're welcome. I don't know how old he was. got an ass. Gentlemen, welcome back to Franklin's Kitchen Sports. I'm your host, Larry Frank, and want to thank everybody so very much for joining us today. We are about six, seven minutes away right now from having Jeremy Herridges, boxing writer for Fansided, will be joining us. We'll talk about uh, the fight that happened this weekend, of course, uh, between uh, Cal Brook and uh, Amir Khan. And we'll talk about other things going on in the world of boxing. So if you're a boxing fan, you definitely want to stay tuned for this terrific interview we are uh, about to have. But, you know, we had the other night on Jerry Fultz to preview the uh, Genesis Invitational that went on this weekend uh, at the Riviera. And for those of you that follow golf that do are not aware of it right now, it, it was an unbelievable Display by uh, Joaquin Neiman, who um, who I believe it was his second, if I'm correct, uh, PGA Tour victory. Um, he had a minus 19, which was two strokes at, ahead of the second and third place finishes, which was Colin Morikawa and Cameron Young. They both had a minus 17. Uh, and remember, this was a win, guys. A great, great win, and he's going to probably move somewhere. Neiman will move now into about the 20th-ranked position in the world in golf. Huge, huge win. Big money. But remember, this this tournament was played with 10, what was it, 10 of the top golfers 
in the ranked in the world. All 10 of the top golfers, ranked golfers, were here, and he still managed to go ahead and win that um, win that tournament. He was leading throughout the weekend, and he just, you know, he, he got a big lead to start out, but he kept holding on, kept holding on, made some incredible shots uh, down the stretch to go ahead and win the Genesis Invitational. Like we said, um, it was his second career PGA Tour victory, and what better way to go ahead and win this? It was a great, 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 great win uh, for this guy, and we're proud to see him uh, go ahead and win that. Now, we are about, like I said, about roughly five to ten, probably about five minutes away from having Jeremy on. Um, we want to go ahead and open up our comment section for any of you folks that want to go ahead and, uh, oh, you know, open up the discussions, go ahead and, uh, you know, let me know what you think. Uh, please go ahead and do so, especially if you've been watching the show, uh, you can look at the, uh, background behind me right now. You'll see Kel Brooks, um, who had a decisive win over Amir Khan, um, which we'll talk about this fight in a couple of minutes. Uh, but this was a battle of two 35-year-olds. And you got to wonder who, what's going to happen here? Does Khan retire now? Uh, and how about Brooks? I mean, Brooks, who's, I believe, 35 years old as well, you know, has never had that big payday. Does he go ahead, do one more fight, make that big money? Could be against Connor Ben, another British fighter and then go out and retire. Those will be some of the questions that we go ahead and ask Jeremy when he comes on. But, you know, this was a fight that was not close. It wasn't a close fight. Um, you know, Brooks is now 40-3 and three with 28 knockouts. So, you know, you got a, a lot of questions on what's going to happen to him now. Does he go con out and retire and it is my great honor thrill and pleasure folks to go ahead and introduce now he is a boxing writer for at fansided let's go ahead and welcome welcome in jeremy herridges jeremy how you doing tonight buddy good how you doing larry i'm doing good first of all i want to thank you so very very much for joining us and i want to also let everybody know that you can follow jeremy on twitter at a boxing writer so go ahead and make sure to follow him on twitter how you doing tonight buddy i'm doing great thanks for having me on i'm, I'm uh, really looking forward to this yeah i'm looking forward to it as well i'm just seeing what backgrounds i have here to go ahead but i want to talk about and i don't know if you had the opportunity to go ahead and watch this fight that happened between brooks and uh con this weekend but it wasn't really anything of a magnificent fight um Big question here. First of all, did you expect this outcome? And what happens to Mia Khan now? I first off, I, I totally expected this outcome. Um, you know, you had a guy in Amir Khan and Kel Brook, respectively, two guys that are, you know, past their prime at this point. So it wasn't surprising that one of them was gonna show worse for wear than the other. Uh, it just happened to be Amir Khan, considering his uh durability issues with his chin. Uh, that was the, the kind of safe play on this one. And what happens now? I think he rides off into the sunset. Um, he pretty much said it after the fight 
that he's he's probably finished at this point that he he just doesn't have the fire anymore um and he just doesn't have the ability at this point and i just wrote a column about this uh, in my after the fights column that uh you know he had a respectable career and he was a one-time champion and we should respect that but at 35 years old he just doesn't have what he once did why did they wait so long to fight? I mean, <laughs> if you go back in time and have both these guys fighting in that peak, this could have been a very different outcome. That's the question that a lot of people ask. And you're going to, depending on who you ask, you're going to see a lot of finger pointing both ways. Well, he didn't want to fight me at this time. And he didn't want to fight me at this time. It's always a, an interesting thing when it gets into the back and forth. Was there one party avoiding the other? Was it a matter of, uh, promotional companies not e- being able to get it done. The way I look at it, Amir Khan had some big fights on the horizon. Uh, Kel Brook was, you know, also dabbling with some big fights of his own, whether it's Gennady Golovkin or or whoever it may be at the time. So it, the stars that just didn't align for whatever reason until they were both kind of at the end of it. And and to be fair, I, I really don't see much more of a future for Kell Brook either. Um, if I had to estimate, I'd say he's got maybe two noteworthy fights under his belt, and that's about it. We are talking to Jeremy Herridges, uh, boxing writer at Fansided. You know, Jeremy, you talk about Kell Brooks, and I want to ask you because um, what you're saying, these two non-fights, I'm hearing some different things. Because mm-hmm. here's a guy that's probably never made as much money as he probably was capable of making throughout his career. A lot of people are thinking that, you know, he's 35 before he goes into the sunset, like Khan's going to go into the sunset, that he may try to get one big payday versus Connor Ben. What are you hearing about that? Who's He's another British, a great British fighter out there. And then maybe once he gets that big payday, he'll have enough money to last him for the rest of his life. Yeah, you know, he's he's done all right for himself. I mean, again, another guy that that's been a world champion before. So the money's been there. Uh, he just took a lot of damage in the ring going into two fights. He probably shouldn't have taken uh, in particular the fight with Gennady Golovkin, which broke his orbital bone. Uh, that's a serious injury. And, and that definitely made a huge impact on him. And then the fight right after that, he goes back down to to super welterweight and. Uh, no, just to welterweight, takes on Errol Spence and gets his other orbital bone broken. That's right. So both sides of his face have been compromised in serious ways. Um, did did the orbital bone fracture against Golovkin kind of set him up for what happened to Errol Spence? Uh, good chance that it did. Uh, but there you go. He, he's, he's damaged goods at this point. And hey, he's still got the power. He's still got strength. But, you know, when you have those two serious injuries – it's really hard to to be at full strength after that. Yeah, and, you know, let me ask you this. And, you know, it's a good debate. Is Canelo the best fighter today? Pound for pound, yeah. I, I think he's pretty much stamped that uh, onto his resume at this point. I, there's no one out there that has fought as extensively as often and with high level opponents as he has. So I think he's pretty much proven of himself at this point, his versatility moving up the ranks and weight uh, questioning whether or not he actually wants to fight as a cruiserweight. And, and the funny thing is if you put him in against any cruiserweight at this point, everybody says Canelo wins. So yeah, I think, I think you have to consider him the best pound for pound fighter in the world at this point. Who has the best opportunity 
that is fighting today to beat him? Uh, that's a fantastic question. Um, you'd probably have to look at the light heavyweight picture. Um, some say Arthur Betterbiev. Some say Dmitry Bivol. If I was a, a you know a betting man, I would probably say Bivol, just because I think Betterbiev would get stopped against Canelo. And now a lot of people would balk at that, saying, "Well, wait a second, Canelo is moving up in weight, fighting a naturally bigger guy who's a power puncher, undefeated." Um, I think Arthur Betterbiev has a perfect KO record at this point too, but he's been hurt in the ring before. Um, I think it was the first Callum Johnson fight, the the Callum Johnson fight that he had that I saw some weaknesses there. Now, even though he floored Callum Johnson, um, there were moments where he was getting tagged and I think Canelo would be able to break him down easier than he'd be able to break down Dimitri Bivol. Um, Bivol is a, a very solid boxer. Doesn't have that, that power factor that, that Betterbiev has, but with his boxing and his strength, he has the ability to keep Canelo away. How long would he be able to keep him away? That's the question. And unfortunately, at this point, most people would say Canelo probably gets in there and still steals it with uh, with his boxing. Now, it looks like Canelo, if I'm correct, I don't know if it's been signed yet, but in May he's going to be fighting, um, is it Lunga Makabu, uh, who is, what, 29-2 and two with 25 knockouts, um, is that fight still on? No. Um, from everything that we're seeing right now, he's setting up a two-fight deal with Matchroom um, that would would set him up against, um, I thought it was better. Be- I'm confusing better be and Bivol. It was one of the two. And then it would be a, a penultimate fight against uh, Gennady Golovkin. That's what the reports are right now. Um, now, whether or not it's been substantiated or not, there's been rumors about that Canelo's kind of squawked out saying, hey, nothing's official yet, but it looks like it's going to be a two-fight deal with Matchroom. Which, um, what? Now, him and Triple G have fought twice. Mm-hmm. There's going to be a third fight? That's what they're saying, yes. And that fight would come after um, his fight with, uh, and again, I'm, I'm blanking on on um, which one it would be, Uh Bivol or better be if I thought it was better be if to be quite honest with you. Um, so that's that's the way it's it's looking as of right now. Um, they were even talking about a two fight deal going into PBC uh, where he'd fight some some combination of fighters, including David Benavides and maybe a Charlo. Uh, but no, it's it's looking like it's a, a two fight deal um, for for uh, Canelo. You know, we're hearing a lot of. Um what's the word static maybe for better terms between Tyson Fury and Dylan white that they have not yet signed. I guess something's going on with white. Is this going to be a fight that we should expect to happen or cause they have a deadline. I know coming up. I think it might be this week. Actually. It was actually tonight and, and Dylan white as of uh, an hour or two ago did sign the contract. It is happening. Okay. And mm-hmm. it, I would assume that's still the April 23rd date that was. Um, how do you see that fight going? I, <laughs> I think as long as uh, Tyson Fury comes in moderately in shape, I, I think he he knocks uh, Dillian White out. Uh, Dillian White's a good boxer. I have um, I have I have respect for his abilities. And anytime you got a guy that big, that strong. He's always going to be a danger. I mean, it's heavyweight boxing, so you can always get an upset at any point. 
However, <laughs> if you just look at the skill level, uh, Tyson Fury to me is just light years ahead of Dillian White at this point. He's been in against the, the hardest punching heavyweight three times in, in Deontay Wilder. So I, I think he can handle the power um, that that first fight that he had with Deontay Wilder, how he got up from that punch in the 12th round. I have no idea. And I've talked to him about it. He doesn't really know himself. Um, he, he doesn't remember it to be, to be honest. He told me that he's like, I, I don't remember it, but he's got that instinct where he can get up. Now, eventually every boxer hits that quotient of punches where they just can't take anymore. There's always that question of when is that time going to come? And unfortunately we never know. It's kind of like, uh, when your time's up, it's up, but I, I don't think his time's going to be up against Dillian White. You know, boxing over the years, I mean, I've watched boxing since the 70s, okay? I used to be able to turn my TV on, and you would see why well the sports would be showing boxing. Um, you know, with Howard Cosell on there and everything. You get, Boxing was so much um, easily accessed than it is today. If you don't have Showtime or HBO, yes, they still put it on ESPN, and I enjoy watching the ESPN boxing matches. But do you think boxing has really damaged its image with this new wave of fans because of the because of not having that easy access like it did for some of us when we were younger? I think in many cases it probably did. Maybe it kind of outsmarted itself. Um, you know, when you have pay-per-views and you have all these different sources. I mean, now really to to be a, a full-time boxing fan, if you really want to take in all the action, you need like three or four different subscriptions, whether it's ESPN Plus or DAZN. And, and there's more and more coming out. So everyone's trying to kind of get on this kind of uh, streaming platform at this point. Um, and, and there's new entities that are, that are coming out. It, it has kind of limited itself, I think, with... Uh, how prevalent or how easy it is to access information. It's kind of isolated itself a bit. And I think that's a part of it. Um, and in the United States, it's um, it's been kind of a hard sell over the years. The boxing is a, a niche sport at this point. And, it, and unfortunately in the UK, it's still one of the, you know, it, it's still big over there, but in the States, it's not what it once was, unless you get that big mega fight that people are talking about. Um, but yeah, you know, when people have to pay such high numbers to, to watch the fights, it, it, it might, that might have something to do with it. But, you know, Jeremy, I look back and I know I'm probably a little bit older than you, but there was a time when there were so many good boxes at one. I mean, Aaron Pryor, Alexis Aguero, Ray mm -hmm. Bubu Mancini, Marvin Hagler, you know, George Foreman, Joe Frazier, Ernie Shavers, Jerry Cooney. I mean, let's not forget Muhammad Ali, of course. I mean, all every time you turned on the TV, there was another good fighter. What has happened to the sport where, you know, you don't have the same domination that boxing had years ago? I think the level of fighter that you have is still there. I mean, there is a ton of great fighters to me the welterweight division is loaded with talent right now. And, and there's a lot of depth to it. To me, that's the, the most stacked division in all of boxing right now. And there's some real compelling fighters that are coming up. It, it's just that we're not hearing their stories. Um, we're not, we're not falling in love with those guys. Like I think we once did. And a part of that I think has to do with um, the simplicity of matchmaking back then versus now, now that things are so fractured, 
it's harder to get that that huge mega fight. And, and also at that point, uh, the thinking behind boxing was a bit different. You know, you could have a guy, like you said, like Hagler, and Hagler didn't care if he got a loss on his record. He went into every fight thinking he was going to win it. Tommy the Hitman Hearn, same way. You know, they were willing to fight because it was like, hey, you know, we're here to be the best. We're going to fight, make it happen. Now there's that hesitancy that if I lose at the wrong time, my payday is going to go way down. Uh, and a lot of boxers, I don't think, want to put that at risk. So really having that O at the end of your record is is at a, a big premium today where it wasn't back then. Um, and, but and Jeremy, think, yeah. is that due to the boxes being you know, cautious of not losing or is that being not that confident in the guys that are leading them, like the promoters and their managers? I think it's a little bit of both. I think it's, it has a lot to do with the boxers and what they're willing to do. And also their promoters willing to make that happen. You don't have a lot of cross promotional fights, or at least when it comes to the top tier boxing bouts, you don't have a lot of cross promotional bouts. Uh, it was such a big deal with Wilder and Fury because you had PBC and top rank. Now, that was a big every one of those fights was a huge orchestration between those two promoters. They put a lot into it. They had to decide who was covering it. Um, they split their media camps up and then they kind of threw them together and they had to make all those decisions. And they're, you know, split in the pot effectively. So when you have two promoters that that have these mega fighters, it's a big payday and they're trying to find ways to make money to make it feasible. And it's just not as feasible today as it was back then. What's the one fight if you had a pick today that you would like to see happen? Well, I'll go with the one that, uh, and a lot of people are going to go, Oh geez, not this one. It's got to me, it's got to be Errol Spence versus Terrence Crawford. To me, that's the fight I want to see. Um, get an undisputed welterweight out of those two, I think would be really fascinating. Um, I think Terrence Crawford would win. Um, but I think that's a fight that is from, from a boxing fans perspective that I would want to see now from the casual outsider. That might be a hard sell because Errol Spence and Terrence Crawford don't have the name recognition of like a, a Canelo or even a Tyson Fury. So they, they might not want to buy that fight even though it might be the most exciting bout in all of boxing. Yeah, I, and I agree. I was going to ask you, Spence, I think is fighting you guys coming up here in April as well. Uh, mm -hmm. Should that be, is that just a fight to just stay in shape for him? Or do you well, think you guys can, uh, you know, give him some competition? Ugas can definitely give him competition. I mean, Ugas is a real fighter. He's a champion. It's a unification bout. Uh, it's a step in the right direction. So it's a good bout. And and could Ugas pull the upset? Yeah, he could. Um, I mean, obviously, you know, he was fighting Manny Pacquiao, who was past his prime, but was still a dangerous fighter. I mean, you could throw Pacquiao in the ring right now and he'd still be competitive with any of the top guys. He may not win, but he'd be competitive and he'd make it interesting. Um, Ugas is a hard fighter to fight. I mean, he makes he makes it difficult to fight him. And he's a very skilled guy that that really is looking like he's hitting his prime right now. Um, so, yeah, it's a competitive bout, especially with a guy like Errol Spence, who has been put through the ringer a bit, whether you're talking about the car crash or the torn retina that he had. There are injury concerns there, and, and there's concerns about his shelf life at this point. 
to me, he's got the Ugas fight and one more big fight, and he could be finished. Yeah, it's amazing. Let me ask you, how how much, first of all, we'll start with a two-part question. I'll ask you the first part. Mm-hmm. How much has MMA, UFC fighting in general, hurt the boxing game? Um, I would say substantially. Um, it, when you have uh, a, a, a sport that's a combat sport, I mean, you are talking about rivals in that dominion. I mean, yes, they're two different sports, but it's combat. And uh, when people are rather watching casually, albeit uh, MMA over boxing, I mean, there's something to be said for that. Now, I think there's also kind of that sensationalism that goes with MMA. Um, you're going to see a bit more violence in MMA than you are going to see it in boxing and violent cells. Um, when you see the crazy knockouts that happen because they're wearing four ounce gloves and, um, you know, you have crazy submissions. I think a lot of that has appealed to fans just from the sensational aspect of it. And that's drawn them into it. And, and I mean, the UFC is doing big things in big business with, with, you know, fights every, every week or every other week. I mean, they sell. Um, and the other thing is it's very sustainable for them too, because they haven't gotten to the point that they can really, well, they can pay their fighters adequately, but you know, Dana White has such a stranglehold on everything that he can pay him whatever he wants to pay and they'll fight for it. Um, I mean, th- that's one thing to be said. I mean, they're making money. Um, left and right because they can control what they pay their fighters and they can't pay them all that much, which is why boxers still make a lot more money than MMA fighters. And that goes right into my next question. Beautiful segue there Mm -hmm. is do you see in the future because of the lack of money, the fighters are making in UFC, then maybe jumping over and trying out boxing to get the big payday. Well, (laughs) most definitely. And, And the thing is, you have Jake Paul. Yeah. Tell me, tell me any MMA fighter who's like in a certain weight class that isn't screaming his name. They say in a heartbeat, yeah, put me in there with them. I want the money. Um, yeah, they they, they want to fight Jake Paul because they know they will get the biggest payday of their life. So when you see that happening, that tells you these guys really aren't getting paid well. Um, I think eventually it's gonna force Dana White's hand to up the ante, but is it going to be as fast as they would like? That's the big question. We're talking to Jeremy Herridges, uh, boxing writer for Fansided. Jeremy, uh, let me ask you, and I want to ask this the right way. Out of the two sports, boxing and UFC fighting, call it MMA, whatever your term you want to use it, I'll just use UFC for argument's sake now. Mm-hmm. Which one takes more skill? <sighs> That that's that's a tough question. It I think they they're boxing. <laughs> here's why I I'll agree say, with you on that yeah, too. Yeah, uh, here's why I'll say that. Um, do you have to have a more well-rounded skill set? Um, are there more things to learn with them MMA? Sure. Um, you know, wrestling, jujitsu, uh, submissions, and a stand-up game. Yes, there's there's more elements that you have to finely tuned for MMA. There's no doubt about that. But in order to be successful as a boxer, you have to be so good at what you do to succeed. You have to have the footwork. You have to have 
amazing conditioning and you have to have power all wrapped. You basically have to be a marathon runner that has power and can punch and can take a punch. Um, in MMA, uh, you get a lot of guys that go further with less. Um, there's not the same amount of depth of quality of fighter, in my opinion, in MMA. When I say that, um, you can get a guy that maybe isn't that great on the ground, but he's got a knockout punch and he can go far in that. But even then, if you put him into a boxing ring, he'd get smoked. Um, and, and to me, it's it's the skill set that you have to have to succeed at the highest levels of boxing. You have to be much sharper. And I, I don't want to just throw it into one category, but you know, when you see uh, Conor McGregor against an older Floyd Mayweather, he was gassed by that by that that mm -hmm. 10th round. I mean, he had nothing left. I mean, going 12 rounds in boxing to me is a lot more difficult cardio wise than going five rounds of MMA. Yeah. And there's nothing more fulfilling for me than for me to see Conor McGregor get his butt kicked. Because, <laughs> I mean, let me ask you two more questions. I'll let you run, Jeremy. Mm -hmm. In your lifetime. Pound for pound, who's the best fighter you ever watched? In my lifetime, pound for, I, I have to go with Mayweather. Um, you know, I have to go with Mayweather just because he was, when we talk about being that sharp in every facet of the game, he had that. Uh, the footwork was incredible. The cardio was always there. Uh I mean, you could he you could throw him into a marathon and he'd probably run it in, in under four, four hours. You know, I mean, he had that kind of cardio where he could do it. His defense was amazing and he had a pretty good punch. Now, the later years, you didn't see that knockout power because he was going up in weight and he never to to my knowledge, um, you know, when he was going up the ranks, he wasn't even hitting the weight. He was several pounds under. So he was fighting guys that were much bigger, much heavier, and he was just outboxing them. He knew he probably couldn't knock them out, so he was just out outskilling them. Uh, so his ability to do that to me makes him the best pound for pound fighter of of my era uh, of watching the sport. Do I say he's the best fighter of all time? No, uh, but then again, I think that's such a you know ambiguous question because you know it, it's almost ludicrous that you're going to compare a heavyweight like Jack Dempsey to a heavyweight uh, like Lennox Lewis. I mean, there's really no comparison. I mean, the guys were 5'11", 195 pounds, you know, my size, you know, I'd be a heavy, I'd be a heavyweight uh, in that, in that terms back then, those guys, you know, couldn't compete with the guys today. I mean, they're too big. They're too strong. Um, that's the evolution of an athlete right there. So it's not fair to really compare the two. All right. Last question. I'll let you run. What does the game of boxing need to do to get people more involved in watching? I would say put on more compelling competitive bouts. So from the top tier bouts, you got to start making those bouts that, um, that everybody wants, that everybody wants to see more 50, 50 fights. Um, you know, it, it's one thing when you, every one of these fights, for the most part, you can see who's the A side and who's the B side. It's when you can get two guys that you can't decide who the A side is. That's what makes boxing compelling. Um, that's what sells. And um, you have those matchups that are there and they're just not happening. And I hate to keep going back to Terrence Crawford, Errol Spence. I mean, that's like an A1 and A2. And we're just uh, we're just not getting them. Uh, the, the politics of boxing are getting in the way. And until they can kind of put that to rest, 
you're going to be missing on a lot of those fights. And that's where to give Canelo credit, he's knocking down those barriers because he's a free agent. He can do whatever he wants to do. He can fight PBC. He can fight matchroom. He can, he can do whatever he wants. (laughs) Yep, definitely. Well, listen, my friend, I want to thank you so very, very much for joining us tonight on frankly speaking sports. Definitely enjoyed talking to you. It's you're breaking up there a little bit, but Larry, anytime you want me on, I'm more than happy to do it. All right, my friend, stay safe. Hey, thank you. I appreciate it. Thank you. All right, that was that was Jeremy Herridge's uh, boxing writer for Fansided. You can follow him at Twitter at a boxing writer. Ladies and gentlemen, I uh, want to thank you very much for tuning in tonight. Tomorrow night, we will go over in detail the Daytona 500. We have Chris Osborne, uh, NASCAR writer, will be joining us live on Frankly Speaking Sports. And we'll also talk about the upcoming race uh, at Fontana this upcoming weekend. So definitely tune in for that show tomorrow evening. Once again, thanks to all our affiliates for having us on tonight. And for all of us, from all of us at Frankly Speaking Sports, have a good night.